coming. I'd like to begin by acknowledging that the land we've been on today is the traditional lands of the Ghana people, who pay our respects to Aboriginal elders past, present, and emerging. So very excited today to welcome back Adelaide Central School of Art graduate Alex Mullen to give us our Art Speak uh, today. Alex graduated in 2015. Since then, he's also studied at the New York Studio School has exhibited in the UK at places including the Phillips Gallery, Daniel Benjamin Gallery, and as part of the Anti-Art Fair. Locally, he's shown that the collective Horn, End Space, and Urban Cow. His debut solo show, Gin States and Desires, won the Bank SA Best Art and Design Award in the 2020 Adelaide Fringe. And his new exhibition, Salon, Saloon of the Refused, is currently showing at Floating Goose Studios. Uh, there's a Fringe opening tonight but you only have this evening and the weekend to catch the show because it closes soon. Without further ado, I'd like to hand you over to Alex. Please make Alex welcome, everyone. Um, so I was just going to talk to you about what I've done since graduating because I kind of feel like it's pretty relevant for students. Um, the slides are sort of related to what I'm talking about, but it's just paintings because I think it's more interesting than photos of travel or studios or whatever. Um, so I was very fortunate to be part of the founding, one of the founding members of the Floating Goose back in 2014. Um, my involvement in that uh, was pivotal in a lot of opportunities that I received after art school. Um, yeah, I, was, I think I, was, I went for lunch with Leo and Gabby once at a conference we had to attend at UniSA and um, they just asked me if I wanted to be part of it. At the time I was looking for studios and um, then we started looking at spaces and realised the gallery could be possible. We're very fortunate to have people like Andrew Clark involved because he was a lawyer and understood a lot of the legal side of setting something like that up um, and that gave us all an opportunity to have a collective studio on and an exhibition space to sort of kickstart our careers. Um, in terms of how that all operates, I'm probably not the best person to talk about it. I was just happy to pick up a paintbrush or a hammer or whatever and, you know, get some elbow grease and do whatever I could, but there's other people who probably know more about how that operates. So I won't dwell on that too much, but just to say that that was a very important part of my development. Um, after art school, um, one of the first things I was fortunate enough to do was to go to India to do to have an exhibition to open the new gallery space at the Jammu uh, University, um, and that all came about because we were at the Floating Goose one it's probably Saturday night, having a few beers, trying to work out how to work, how to build the Floating Goose to the next level because we'd sort of had like our friends and stuff exhibiting. Um, we wanted to try and work out what to do next. And Nick Hanish had just been to India to do, I think it was maybe a second residency over there. Um, and someone he had met there had passed his information on someone else who was coming to Australia, um, a guy called Lavesh. And so Lavesh had been messaging Nick about catching up and Nick asked him if he wanted to have a show at the Floating Goose and he replied by saying, would you guys want to come and have a show here in Jammu for our... Uh, we've got an international exhibition on for um, the opening of the reopening of the university space, and so we all thought that was great. It was about half a dozen of us who were pretty keen to go, until we looked at the government website, which said it was a no travel zone, 
because it was like near the Pakistan border. So most people pulled out, but me and Nick thought we'd go anyway. Um, and it was great. Um, spent a few weeks traveling around India before we went up to Jammu, which is a 16 hour bus ride on a bus from my seventies. Um, and a novelty horn. So it was about 16 hours, no sleep in a very uncomfortable chair. And then we got there and they said, um, you guys have to give an artist talk in about half an hour. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, no, no one warned us, so we're unprepared. But it was a bit like that. Uh, we had to set up the exhibition. There was a blackout, so it was in, and it was in the basement. So we had to do it with torchlights on our phone um, to prepare for the setup. But that was an amazing experience in India. It was great. Um, and yeah, that all just came about because we reached out to some guy that we'd never met and asked him if um, he wanted to show at the Goose. And then before I knew it, we were on a plane to India. Um, and then when I got back, uh, the Goose had received a grant from the Adelaide City Council. Um, and part of that grant was for a mentorship program. And um, I was fortunate enough to get offered one of the mentorships. I think it was meant to go to people who had graduated and it was from the year before. And the acquittal was coming up and someone who had been offered their mentorship hadn't used it. And so I got back from India and Andrew was like, we really need someone to do this mentorship. Would you take it on? And I heard that Stuart McFarlane was back in Adelaide and I'd always liked his work. Um, so I shot him an email. Uh, I think I spoke to Mary Jean first and said, like, what do you think about this? And she said it was a great idea. I think she'd told me actually the previous year that it would be a good idea to reach out to him. So I did, and um, he accepted. And so I had about three months internship with Stuart, which was great. I think he came to my studio once a week and we talked about my painting and where it could improve and what I should do now that I had recently graduated. Um, and it was a three month uh, mentorship because I had planned to move to Europe. I didn't know where exactly. Um, but I was talking to him about that and he was quite adamant that I needed to go to New York because that's where he got his start. Um, so me and Nick were going to be traveling together. So we started talking about that and started planning New York um, on the way to Europe. And we were quite fortunate in the AXA was talking about maybe having a scholarship for the New York Drawing Marathon at the time. Um, but they hadn't really organized it yet. And Lucy Turnbull was heading over there to start her masters. And we, so we kind of strategically booked our ticket to New York to line up with the New York studio, the New York Drawing Marathon, and then told AXA we were going to be there and that we would like that um, scholarship if it was available. And Ingrid gave it to us, but she told us that we couldn't tell anyone. But she's not sitting on you, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but that's how we got uh, that's how we got the scholarship to the New York Studio School, just by um, again, just by um, sort of reaching out and and then asking for help afterwards. Um, uh, yeah, booking ticket and asking for help, and so that was an amazing experience to be in New York for a month um, with Nick and Lucy, and just two week drawing intensive school but we got to go to all the art galleries you know the MoMA and um, um, yeah just there's so many galleries in New York it's hard to remember where we went but it was quite an amazing experience um, just to see that city and to start seeing artworks that you'd only ever seen in a textbook or on a slideshow um, and so that was great and the, the marathon itself was pretty intense it was like two weeks straight you didn't get the weekend off, it was two weeks straight, you started 
9am to 5 was drawing and you'd have critiques every evening and that was in Manhattan and we were staying in Brooklyn so it was quite a trek each way so it was long days but um, it was amazing and I was fortunate enough to meet a girl called Hannah Tilson who was doing an exchange from the Slate and it was when I was in New York that I decided that when I went to Europe I was going to move to London because the size of the city like, blew my mind and I was like I really want to be somewhere like this. So after that I decided to move to London I spoke to Hannah about where to go and she sort of became a contact um, for me and told me kind of the areas to move to but I moved to London and ended up living in initially I was in Gypsy Hill and I was living in a boiler room paying about 450 pounds a month for rent for this tiny little room that was like um, not much bigger than the, to the end of that table to here I had my single bed um, uh, a wardrobe in the boiler and uh, just put a piece of MDF between the boiler and the wardrobe and just stapled canvas to that and started painting. Um, I picked up an unpaid internship before I had a place to live. Um, that was an interesting insight into how that sort of art world works to be in this big commercial space um, and getting bus fare to come in and do their work for them for three months before they shipped me off and brought someone else in. Um, it was tough because it was three days a week where I wasn't getting paid and having to travel into the centre of London and the other four days a week, I was working at a pub and um, getting paid about seven pounds an hour. And so I had a lot of rent and no rest and managed to get through the end of every month. I was sort of living off two minute noodles and cans of tisky. Um, but I got through that and then just started looking for work as an art technician because I, I found out that was actually a job where you could just go around and hang paintings at galleries and get paid for it. Um, and I spent good amount of time, I think it was a good six to nine months before I finally got a job working as part of the freelance team at Phillips Auction House, which was amazing because everyone who worked there was a um, was either an artist or a musician and so it was a really cool group, group of people to be working with and it was freelance, they all worked at other galleries and once you got that first job it was very easy to get work at other galleries because that was how it worked. I actually got the job there because my dad's cousin knew the auntie of the gallery manager or something. And I hadn't met her, but she was in London because my family's from England. So she was in London and wanted to catch up. I went for a beer and I told her about how I was struggling to find a job. And the next day she sent me an email and I emailed this guy and he brought me in. He was going to offer me an internship to learn more of a... Um, um, admin kind of role, but after chatting to him, he was like, oh, it sounds like you want to be on the tech team. And after that, he gave me a job as a tech, and that was sort of it. I started getting work at Barbican Centre as well, um, which is a kind of, the Barbican Centre is a cultural, uh, I don't know the word, cultural institute that um, was an area of London that was bombed during World War Two, and they rebuilt it at this big, ruthless architecture, and it's got theatres and cinemas and so it was quite interesting to work at Phillips because it was um, a very commercial auction house, you're just flipping work. The curation was pretty like basic, like things of the same colour go together or the artists are from the same part of the world, they go together. Whereas Phillips, uh, sorry, whereas the Barbican, that, that the shows were really heavily curated and quite amazing. One of the most interesting shows I worked on was um, called Artist Couples and it was about um, 
relationships between artists who have sort of worked together. So um, uh, not some are romantic and some are just professional, but that was quite an incredible show. Um, but again, that was an opportunity to um, to be handling work at both these places that I'd only seen in in textbooks before. So you know, from Dana Schultz to Picasso and Basquiat, David Hockney, all these artists that I, I admired and had written about at art school, suddenly I was like holding their their, hand, their paintings. Um, so that was quite an uh, amazing experience. Um, as well as hanging artwork, I started working at the Phillips uh, warehouse where they'd send work to be catalogued before it was um, to be photographed to be catalogued before the auction. And so I was quite fortunate. I got along really well with the photographer and this is a commission that I painted for him. Um, but he, I, was, I got to take all my paintings into Phillips and get them photographed professionally with like, cameras that were quite amazing. So I got some really cool photos for, for free which was a good um, bonus for working there. Um, and yeah, all around pretty good experience working for Phillips and Barbican. And then I got my first opportunity to exhibit in London. Um, so it was really tough actually being in London and trying to get an exhibition. So I had my friend Hannah and all these people I worked with who were exhibiting constantly um, in all these galleries that I thought were pretty cool and I'd like to get a show with. and. Uh, couldn't get a look in. Um, I try and get advice from them, like, do I email a cold call or drop in? And uh, my friends are like, oh, that's not going to work. We all get our shows through, like the art school that we graduated at, like our contacts. It's all been a networking thing, and we don't really look for it. We just get invited. I was like, okay, so what do I do? Do I come and do a master's here? And they're like, they're like, no, it's too expensive and it's not worth it. Like, okay, so what's the option? Like, There's not really any, is there? So I actually did. I just went around to all the galleries and dropped in and asked if I could have a show or what I could do to get them to look at my work even. And most people um, didn't want to talk to me um, without even seeing what I'd done, which was a bit um, disheartening. And so it was, there's one gallery actually I did go to, I think it was called Northcote, where the guy was really friendly and was happy to chat. It was far more conservative than my work. Um, but it was nice just to talk to him about the, you know, how to go about it. Um, but then I was walking home about the third or fourth day I'd been out with no luck and I walked past this little pop-up gallery um, by a group called Better Shared and it was a girl whose name I've just forgotten that is organising like, ex art exhibitions for, for black artists in, in London. Um, so I went and had a chat to her and I was like, how did you get this space? And she told me about the creative debuts who try to offer art opportunities for a um, diverse range of people. And she gave me their contact details and I called them and they were happy to have a look at my work. And then they got back to me and said, would you like to be part of the anti-art fair? Which was running um, parallel to Freeze, I think. Um, and their whole idea was like trying to just be a little bit different to um, the big London commercial art world and to try and give other people opportunities. So they do a lot of great things. They give funding to um, minorities and um, yeah, so I was fortunate enough to be a part of that. Um, it was their first. I don't think they've done it since. I don't think it was as, as successful as I'd hoped it would be because they were charging, I think, £20 a ticket to get in. And people were already going to freeze. So there wasn't a great deal of people that came through, but it was still it was an opportunity to show some work in London, which I was grateful for. 
And then um, after that, I was um, fortunate enough. So when I did my undergraduate internship at, Con at Contini Art Gallery, there was a young guy called Andrea and Josh were the two kind of hired work, uh, art gallery assistants. And so Josh has gone on to do, like, it looks like he's doing amazing things and, uh, as an artist. And um, Andrea was always sort of the um, more involved in the business side of it. And so he became a uh, art consultant for a new gallery that opened up in Notting, Notting Hill called Daniel Benjamin Gallery. And it was, I think their second show was called Figurative Now. And they were showing figurative work. And um, so Andrea reached out to me because he remembered me from a couple of years ago when I'd been working with him. Um, and asked me wanted to be part of that show, which was, which was great because that felt like it wasn't an art fair and it wasn't like the Phillips staff show because I showed with, at Phillips a few times, but that was like the staff show. So it was kind of nice, but it was also just because I worked there. Uh, whereas this felt like a real, like oh, I've actually got into a gallery um, and doing that unpaid internship was worthwhile. And this painting I did um, was one of the reasons I think Andrea asked me to be part of the show because when I was doing the internship, I'd be sitting with him at the desk doing admin stuff and talking about art and he showed me his favourite painting, which was by an Italian artist whose name I was supposed to look up before I started this talk, but I forgot. Um, it was of a streetlight and this is a painting of a, a chandelier that um, my partner had made out of um, chicken wire and pegs and I wanted to paint it because it was really cool. It was in our share house and I hadn't worked out how to do it and he just happened to show me this um, streetlight and it got some ideas from that. Um, and then I painted this and I showed it to him later and he was like, thought it was great. So he asked me to be in the show so he could try and sell this to get his dad to buy it for him. <laughs> but unfortunately his dad didn't want it. And um, since then I've decided that I want to keep this one for myself because it was, um, it was she wasn't my girlfriend at the time when I painted that. Um, but then she later did and so it's quite personal painting now. But um, yeah, it was, that's how I got into that gallery. And then, um, Andrea was trying to get me over to Mexico, um, but that didn't happen. It was right before I came back to Australia. He was trying to get me over to a gallery that he works with over there, but there had just been an election in Mexico and the political climate changed and it wasn't a good time to go over. And then I was coming back to Australia, so that sort of didn't happen. Um, but I still keep in touch with him occasionally. When I have a show, I'll send him images and, and that, so you never know. Uh, maybe one day I'll work with Andrea again. Um, and then I came back to Australia and had my first solo show. So I had done a body of work for a solo show in London, didn't get to show it, and then, but I started the second body of work. Um, and that was what I showed at the Floating Goose in 2020, that date's wrong, sorry. Um, and that was a show that was sort of about London itself, um, or my experience of London as an expat um, during the years between Brexit getting voted in and the actual Brexit happening. Um, and yeah, so this was just um, one of the parks near my house that was had lots of little football fields on it uh, for five side. Um, there was lots of houses behind there, but I thought it looked better as a park. Um, 
and yeah, that was good. I got back to Adelaide, applied for the show at the Goose, got accepted, had that show as part of the Fringe, and um, as Andrew said, was fortunate enough to win the Bank SA um, Fringe, uh, Bank SA Best Art Award, which was pretty cool um, to get that after not being able to get a show for a couple of years. Um, and then after that, I did Sea Shanties with Nick, which was a collaborative exhibition. So Nick came and stayed with me. I was living out at Webb Beach, which is a, um, not quite an hour north of Adelaide, just on a little tidal beach where you go crabbing and fishing and stuff. And so Nick came and stayed with me for a couple of weeks, I think, and um, we just painted together. So we set up a couple of canvases and I'd paint on one for an hour and he'd paint on the other and then we'd swap and paint on each other's work. And initially it was, um, we were just gonna, it was gonna be paintings about our shared experiences. So I'd give Nick a, I'd remind Nick of the story that we'd lived together and he'd do the same and we'd sit down and paint these things and then we'd swap. Um, and it kind of quickly got weird. Um, so this initially was a rickshaw. It was an experience we had in India where our rickshaw driver had tried to rip us off about $2 and we knew we were fine with it and then he got pulled over by the traffic police and Nick didn't realise what was going on, kind of ratted him out and then the guy got fined and we got held up about 45 minutes and um, the guy tried, the cop tried to get our number so we could have a beer later I'm like, I think we just want to go home, go back to our cell, want to talk about cricket which is pretty usual, which is basically what happened over there, there's a lot of cricket talk. Not that I know anything about cricket, just name players and I get happy. Um, but yeah, this became, yeah, what, what it became. I think about the third swap, it sort of turned into this Jesus feeding a guy the crocodiles. And I think from there, the show kind of, the body work kind of took this turn to be more about death um, and people dying in funny ways, which was sort of relevant to some stuff that me and Nick been through, uh, I think, and sort of went that way for, yeah, quite organically, but it turned into quite a funny show. And it was actually quite informative of my next body of work, because stuff I'd done previous to that had been quite observational. Um, you know, the, the body of work I did that was about London, the body of work I did before that was about the share house that I had been living in. Because um, I arrived in London before I'd set up the piece of MDF to paint, I wasn't sure how it was going to work. I was trying to find out if I could get a studio, um, which was never going to happen. I was never going to be able to afford to do that. Um, but I was drawing constantly. I was just I had my sketchbook and I was just drawing the house I was living in. And once I'd set up to paint, that sort of just became an obvious thing to paint was all these sketches I'd done. And so I did this body of work about the share house. Um, and that and then before I finished it, I had a few paintings to go in my mind. I had a few more before that body of work was finished and I got thrown out quite unceremoniously by my living landlord after he had lost his job and his dog died. He kind of had a bit of a breakdown and he lashed out. I mean, I was on the street in the snow, with no shoes on, and he was throwing my stuff out the door. I had to call the police. And so the next, um, I think it might be the next day actually. So to finish the body of work, I um, cut up I printed off some photos of the paintings I'd done, cut them up, and made these collages of these abstract works. So the work that was had been about place kind of became about displacement. It's my first body of work, my first solo show, or what was my third, 
third soil I'll show you, but the first one I painted was about place and displacement, but it was all observational. Like it was stuff I'd sat and drawn. And then the show about London was that way as well. Um, I'd go out and find things that um, felt relevant to what I was trying to express and I would draw them and paint them. Um, but this show I did with Nick was more um, like just stuff we're making up. And I spent most of the two weeks just trying to make Nick laugh. Um, and it just had fun. And it was so much fun making that work with Nick that I decided that the next time I was to do a body of work, it was going to be more like imaginary, uh, sort of became more sim symbolism and uh, surreal and humorous. And that's the show that I've got on at the Goose at the moment. So that's quite a change of, for me. Um, I think the style kind of carried over and that's continued to develop, but just the way of working changed for this most recent body of work um, because of that experience that I had in Nick. Um, and so yeah, this is one of my paintings from the Saloon of the Refused. And the idea for this, well, this body, this body of work actually didn't begin as a body of work. I was, I'd had the three shows in 2020 um, at the Goose, the Urban Cow, and um, at the Haunt. I showed um, the first body of work. I think I got a slide for it. Um, and yeah, so I needed something, I decided I wanted to do something different instead of just starting a new body of work again. Um, I wasn't ready to do that. And so I thought I'd try and apply for some art prizes at interstate so that I could try and get some work shown in Melbourne or Sydney or even some rural galleries. Um, so I was just doing paintings for prizes and they just kept getting knocked back. I didn't get into anything. I'd probably seven or eight paintings by this point, and then the goose had an open call, and so I was chatting to Nick again. He seems to be like my main guy. Um, and he was like, yeah, just have a show at the goose. Um, just put all those paintings together and have a show. Um, we were having a beer at the pub, and I'm like, what should, what, what should we call it? And we're talking about the Salon Refuse, and so the Saloon of the Refuse sort of came from that, and it was all like my rejected paintings became a body of work. And then I had a few others that I would to finish before the show was complete, which I did. Um, but that's how that show kind of came together. So just, um, yeah. And I was really happy with that body of work actually, because each it was different again, because each body, each painting was separate. It was like, um, it was, it wasn't, I wasn't like, it wasn't about a share house. It wasn't about long, and it was, each painting was its own thing. And I think that's stronger for that. Um, because I wasn't getting to the end of it being like, oh, I needed a couple more paintings to fill the gallery. Um, they were just all strong conceptually, I think, uh, trying to get as much into a painting as I could, particularly with this one, which has quite a lot going on. I spent a lot of um, the last couple of years since I've been back in Australia traveling around in my camper van. Um, and so the idea for this painting actually came to me when I was in the Northern Territory I was walking through a dry creek bed in like the uh, East McDonald Ranges and um, I had just been reading, well, my partner's French, and so I bought her, she, the reason I came back to Australia is because she wanted to travel around in a camper van and I thought that was a pretty cool idea and a good excuse to come home for a year. And it was right before COVID, so I've been here for three years now, or two and a half. But um, we spent a lot of that time traveling around. 
And so she was learning a lot about Australian history, uh, the, the more recent Australian history and how dark it really is. And like having to her discover that and me kind of rediscovering it through her like shock was um, quite, quite confronting, I suppose. Um, and so I was reading a lot of books when we were traveling around like a uh, red dark emu and talking to my country and the true history of the Ned Kelly gang, uh, the Kelly gang. And so this painting sort of came from that. I was walking through this creek bed and thinking about the fact that um, uh, just Ned Kelly, when he first went on the run uh, after shooting a cop because he had assaulted his sister, he was with his, what became the Kelly gang and they were camping out and three cops came to get them at their campsite and they shot them. Um, and then I was thinking about Walsing Matilda and how the Charlie's flag man was down by the billabong and the three troopers came down to arrest him. And so I kind of combined those two stories because three troopers, three cops say his billy was Ned Kelly's helmet and Ned Kelly came, spirit came out and chased the cops into the water. And that's sort of the initial idea of that painting and it's sort of built like on from that, um, just thinking about some of the um, contradictions and hypocrisies within the history of our recent colonial history. So I was thinking about Ned Kelly again, and how some people justify his behavior because of the way he, um, because he, he did what he did because he was protecting his family, protecting his mother and his sister. It's a really good book if you haven't read it. Um, but anyway, so, and I was thinking about how he was justified in, people tried to justify his behavior are the same kind of people who probably booed Adam Goods off the footy field, um, even though he was just trying to protect his family and his people. Um, and so I was thinking about that and I was listening to a lot of Bob Dylan, as I always do, when I was driving around. And there's this one song, Outlaw Blues, that he wrote around the time he was getting booed off stage because he went from folk music to electric music. Um, and one of the lines in that song is, I just want to be on some Australian mountain range. I've got no reason to be there. It just it would just be some kind of change. And so I just thought, imagine Goods and Dylan having a chat about getting booed off of off their stage for expressing themselves, like just on the Australian mountain range. I imagine they would have a really interesting conversation. Um, so I thought I'd put those two up on the mountain overlooking uh, the the mess that's sort of our recent history. And um and there's a few other things like the European carp eating the last little bit of grass in the river and the billabong and the dark emu silhouette up in the clouds. There's a few little... And the policemen are taken from the croc safety sign up in the Northern Territory, sort of like the figures you get on the, the door. So it's just trying to get everything into this... Like trying, me trying to make sense of this... Um, everything I was reading and trying to understand it more. And so that's sort of where that painting came from. Um, yeah, and I think I've got, I don't have any more slides. Um, yeah, I'd love to open some questions, Alex. Yeah, questions would be great. experience in London and, and how hard it was 
networking that would build up for the art schools made it kind of, it sounds like an impenetrable system. Yeah. Um, but do you have the sense that you were starting to break through and then you, you came back here and COVID got in the way? Or? A little bit. Yeah. But I'll go back. Um, I have plans to go back this year, but to France, which is as close, you know, I've still got my contacts there. I've actually got friends that I work with in London who lived in France and would fly in for the, because you'd get chunks of work for a couple of weeks. Um, and so they'd live in France um, and then fly in and stay for a couple of weeks and work and then go back to France. So um, I feel like I'll still be quite connected to London. I've got a lot of friends there um, from the few years that I was there. And um, yeah, once I get back over to Europe, I'll get in touch with those people and see. And I was probably going to try and do a master's in France. I just have to learn to speak French first, <laughs> which I've been trying because, like I said, my partner's French. So um, yeah, I felt like I was starting to get somewhere, particularly once this offer to go to Mexico came up and then that fell through. But that felt like it was like, oh, this is starting to go somewhere. Um, so yeah, I'll, We'll see. But I remember actually one of the first days I had at Contini was an unpaid internship. The Andrea asked me to um, get an Uber to take something. I had to take something to someone. I wasn't sure what it was, but he just, I was like, yeah, no worries. And so he booked the Uber and he was like, that's, that's ironic. You're going in a, um, a Citroen Picasso and you're taking a Picasso. And I was like, what? And so yeah, he handed me this, um, Picasso ceramic and I was sat in an Uber for about 45 minutes just like clutching this thing, <laughs> freaking out. But then that kind of became normal. Like it was, um, that was what was great about it. Like you just every day, the new, every, every auction, a truck, trucks would arrive with like huge um, wooden boxes you'd have to carry out and then open them up and like see what, what's, what are they selling this month. Um, which was pretty cool. It was about a month cycle. So they have an exhibition that was about three, uh, went on for about a week and then they'd have the auction and then you'd have three weeks to take it down, pack the work, send it off to wherever it's going and set up the next one. And so it was a massive turnaround and lots of really cool stuff to see. And yeah, working with all those other artists, a lot of them were musicians as well. So I got quite got into the um, London punk scene, which was pretty cool. One of my managers had a little record label, so I'd go to like his festivals in the basements of record stores and stuff. Um, so, yeah. So where do you see your painting going next? Are you go back to the or? Uh, I've got an idea. Um, yeah, I've got a mural. I've got to paint next month, so I've got to work out. I've never done a mural, so I've got to work out the logistics of that. Um, and yeah, do that, and then I'll probably be planning to head off. So I'd, yeah, I'm not sure at the moment. I'm a little bit um, fresh from just finishing the last body work. I think the last painting for this show, I finished about midday on the Friday that it opened. So it was like really to the last minute getting things done, um, which is the least organized I've been, the least ready for a show I've been. Um, so that was, yeah, I don't want to do that again, but. Um, I don't know. With colour, I just tend to use what's on my palette. 
Um, I can be, that's one area of painting where I can be quite lazy. I don't mix a lot. So they're always really vibrant. I think even if I start trying to make a great painting by like the third session, I can't be bothered mixing all those paints again. So it just, it was vibrant. Um, but I just try to remember color theory and use complementary colors and, and with using blue, I'll use a warm blue and a light blue and, and that sort of thing. But um, I don't know if that's just the slides I picked for today. I don't know if it, it runs through all my work. Um, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, generally. I think the show I did with Nick was um, we used a bit of acrylic and I think it was all acrylic and then pasta on top. But that was a much shorter period of time between like to get ready for the show. We didn't have as long to let things dry and they're kind of immediate. They finished pretty quick. And we used pasta just to resolve them. Um, but yeah, I much prefer using oil. Um, I was like, not so much a layer. I do recent painting on that. Yeah. Other, older paints, but your recent ones, like this one in particular, really remind me of like, um, like Rachel Basso or like yeah. some of those, just in the colors and like shading yeah. like these drawings. Yeah, um, I try not to look at his stuff because, I mean, I try not to look at artists that I think I'm too similar to because um, I don't want to be too derivative. But yeah, he's definitely an influence. I think like when there used to be the Mambo shop on Rundle Street when I was a kid, that was like my first art gallery. Just go and look at the t-shirts. I thought that was really cool. So I'm a big fan of Reg. And it's not the first time I've had that comparison. So, yeah. Uh, it's looking at these more recent paintings, and I think there's a really interesting sort of combination between this sort of dense imagery that builds up from fantasy and history and allegory and, and so forth, but it also, hearing you talk about it, seems really deeply rooted in place. And a lot of this work seems to come from being in a particular environment, being inspired by that. When you go to put together a canvas or a painting like this, do you have a, a process that you apply to it, or is it, is it more in um, uh, it <coughs> sorry, it varies, and you're right about place. I didn't realize until I hung this show how much place it had an influence on it. I think when I did the proposal to um, the goose, I said like this works not my previous work's been about me, whereas this isn't. Um, previous work was about place. This isn't, and then I hung the work and I was like, oh, this is all about where I've been. So, whoops, so just so that sort of just happens. Um, but yeah, I think with this one, I painted this one like in my head behind the steering wheel because it was a long time between the initial idea and before I got back to Adelaide. And I think I sat on it for probably a year before I actually put it onto a canvas and it got really big and then I kind of brought it back in and got rid of some other ideas that didn't really seem, were kind of relevant but didn't, couldn't really work them in. Um, and so this is all kind of made up I would have had references for like the fish um, and that sort of thing and the cool of our tree. Um, but mostly like it's it's made up. But other works um, previously have been more observational. But it changes. I mean, um, sometimes I'll do a quite a detailed drawing before the painting, other times I'll paint it and then draw it afterwards. Because at the show I've got lots of pen drawings as well. And most of those came before the painting, but some of them would come afterwards if I had like a really 
good idea of what the painting was going to look like and I didn't feel I needed the drawing, I'd just do it and then I'd be like, I should probably draw that as well because it would make a nice drawing. Um, but yeah, it's all, it all varies. It's really interesting looking through those slides that there's sort of different approaches to forming an image and I was really taken with the, uh, the collage images and taking other things and sort of the photographing and cutting them up and forming the compositions from, uh, as you were saying, that sense of displacement, which is really great. Yeah, thank you. I would like an excuse to do that again, hopefully not as um, violent as the first time. But yeah, I really enjoyed that process, but I haven't had, it hasn't struck me as a, a reason to make a work since um, but yeah, it was good. I think that was something I learned in non-rep painting with an owner. I think we drew something and cut it up. So it wasn't an original idea. I just refurbished something I'd learned here. Um, yeah. Um, it's not really, I just want to make enough money that I don't have to have a day job. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'd love to be independent and not be represented. Oh, okay, because I don't understand. I just want to be represented and I sort of wonder like, yeah, whether. If I could do it independently, that'd be great because then I wouldn't have to ask to anyone. Oh, okay. But if someone offered me an opportunity to show in their gallery and that would mean that I didn't have to have a day job, then. I'd jump at it. I'm kind of open to to whatever, I think. Um, yeah, and I suppose it depends on, on the gallery. I mean, I see some artists get picked up and they kind of just keep making the same work over and over again. I don't really want to do that. So um, I would be wary of that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not represented, I haven't had any artists. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that might be all the time we have um, with Alex today, but it, uh, I urge you all to get along and see the saloon of the refuse at the Bloody Goose. It's an amazing show that you've got tonight or over the weekend to get in and see it. Yeah. Um, and if you could all please join me.